our first lesson, Queen Jezebel sees to it that Naboth is killed so that her husband can obtain the vineyard, which is the man's inheritance. In response, Elijah tells the king that the Lord will bring disaster upon him. A reading from 1 Kings. Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard so that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house. I will give you a better vineyard for it or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you my ancestral inheritance. Ahab went home resentful and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you my ancestral inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would not eat. His wife Jezebel came to him and said, Why are you so depressed that you will not eat? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard for it. But he answered, I will not give up my vineyard. His wife Jezebel said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Get up, eat some food, and be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and the nobles who lived with Naboth in his city. She wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the assembly. Seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. The men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. Just as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the assembly. The two scoundrels came in and sat opposite him. And the scoundrels brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took Naboth outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been, had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Go, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. As soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, dead, Ahab set out to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs will also lick up your blood. 
Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you. Because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, I will bring disaster on you. I will consume you and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. I will bring disaster on you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Please stand as you are able and join with us in singing Psalm 5 verses 1 through 8 in your service bulletin. seated. Reading from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We have come to believe in Jesus Christ so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing works of the law. Because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our efforts to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him the more? Simon answered, I suppose the one from whom he canceled, for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod Stuart Cusa, and Susanna and many others, who provided for them out of their resources. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Can I have all the kids come forward? Anyone who considers themselves a kid, come forward. Have you ever been in really bad trouble? (laughs) Yeah, I see by your smiles. I'm going to tell a story on myself. Um, It was summertime, so my brother and I were not in school, and my mom had gone grocery shopping, and she set up, we had this easel where we could do watercolors, and so we were supposed to be entertaining ourselves by doing watercolor. Well, we found some of those syringes that you give babies little oral medicine with, you know, and so we mixed up the watercolor, and we drew it into the syringe, and then we stood back and squirted that at that paper, and it made really cool patterns, you know, it made this really great picture. Of course, what we didn't know is that it was splattering onto the ceiling and the walls in the dining room. And so we were just having a ball. We were laughing. My mom said she pulled in the driveway and heard us laughing and knew, just knew that there was something big wrong. And she came in, and she didn't see the pictures, right? She just saw this paint all over the ceiling, all over the the walls in the dining room. Well, it was watercolor, so we thought, oh, no big problem, it'll wash off. 
So my brother and I just felt really horrible. She was very upset. So we got sponges and we tried to wipe it off. Well, it had dried, so it was stuck in that in that paint. So she said, "Well, we'll just wait till your dad gets home." And oh man, we just knew that was big bad trouble. So he got home and he tried cleaning and it didn't clean. So it ended up he had had to paint, you know, repaint the ceiling. It was a ranch house, so that meant you had to repaint the whole house. We knew we were in big bad trouble, um, and so for I think a week we tried just everything to, you know make my mom feel better. Um, and she finally, she finally got over it and finally forgave us. And now we can laugh about it. When I tell that story to my mom, she just thinks it's the funniest thing ever because she can remember hearing us laughing as she pulled in the driveway. So Jesus tells a story this morning about forgiveness. And when we get in big trouble, what we need is forgiveness. And forgiveness makes it possible for people to love each other. Your parents, who have to forgive you when you get in big trouble, do that, and then they're able to love you, and you are able to love them. So I'm going to tell you this, and your parents don't want you to know this. When you get forgiven by your parents, those things become, as time goes on, part of the relationship between you and your parents. So think about the times when you're in big trouble, and you think, oh. Sometimes you just want to hide it, right? If you figure it out before your parents do, you don't want to let them know. And then it just eats and it eats and it eats at you. Better to tell them and say, oops, I goofed, and, and get over it and get on with it. And I just, I, I still remember that story of my brother and I and just the pain. Of course, we never saw it until Mom got home and we looked up and saw all that colored paint on the ceiling and thought, oh, man, we have just blown it. But now we can laugh about it. And that's the way God treats us. God forgives us our sins as time goes on so that we can sit down and chuckle about them. Thank you. You can head back. So, adults, <clears throat> have you ever been in big trouble? <clears throat> we Episcopalians don't talk about sin very often. <clears throat> A lot of you wore the T-shirts to the picnic last week, top ten reasons for being an Episcopalian. <clears throat> and one of those reasons says, all of the pageantry, none of the guilt... Um, we don't do sin. Now, growing up, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, and we did sin really well, um, and, and a lot of it. Um, I don't know if you watch TV much, but Pastor Jeff, do you know who Pastor Jeff is? How many? Okay, some, some of you are nodding and who know who Pastor Jeff is. He's on TV, and he does ads for the St. Louis Family Church, and he's you know got this full head of hair, this great beard. He's always dressed nice, casual, um, this wonderful, soothing voice, and, and you, know, you know that problem that's bothering you, turn it into a prayer, so on and so forth. But he ends a lot of his ads with the phrase, Receive Jesus. And that phrase just sets my teeth on edge. Um, when I was a kid, the pastors would come and they would get up and they would pound the pulpit, that hellfire and brimstone stuff, you know, you're just such a horrible sinner. And what you need to do is receive Jesus. Come on down to the altar, pray through, and receive Jesus. So whenever I hear that phrase, receive Jesus, I think, oh, I'm just a horrible sinner and I need to receive Jesus. We in the mainline, we in the Episcopal Church, don't talk a lot about sin. Um, we tend to put it in its social context. Um, that's not a bad thing to do. If somebody um, has messed up, we talk about 
what, what was the circumstance that led them to mess up? When we talk about kids in detention, we talk about the awful circumstances that they're in. I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, we need to do that so that we can help prevent other people from ending up in the same situation. But it doesn't solve the problem. Um, I was talking to the kids about that awful feeling that you get when you've messed up. And to be excused, to be told it's not your fault, doesn't really help that awful feeling. Um, so what do we do? Um, the main line tends to talk, or you know, Pastor Jeff, I would say, probably doesn't pound the pulpit and shake his finger and tell everybody that they're sinners, but he probably does talk about sin. He probably talks about all of those other people who are sinners, you know, those people who drink, not like us, those people who have abortions, not like us. Whatever the issue is, those people are sinners. And you see that with the televangelists, right? You know, um, all of those people who do all of those things and then the preacher is caught with the prostitute in the motel room. Ah, yep, those people. Yeah, sure enough. But those things that we should not do. The bakers were caught embezzling money, all the rest of it. So Luke tells us a story about sin. And Luke, it seems to me a couple of times, gets the moral of the story backwards. Um, he says to Simon, this woman is washing his feet. Now, we have to know a little something about banquets. Uh, when somebody threw a banquet, they often invited entertainment. So there might be a musician, there might be a poet, or there might be what were called flute girls, um, girls ostensibly who came to play the flute. Um, yeah, well, okay. Their hair was typically down. Um, if their hair was down and uncovered, you knew they were part of the entertainment, not part of the guest list. And this woman's hair is down. Um, she's wiping Jesus' feet with it. So she's part of the entertainment, not part of the guest list. You wouldn't need to be a prophet to know who and what kind of woman this is. So Simon thinks less of Jesus for letting this woman touch him, and Jesus tells a story. So there's this creditor with two debtors. One owes 500, one owes 50. He forgives them both. Who loves the more? Simon says, well, the one to whom he forgave the greater debt, I suppose. And then Jesus says, see this woman. She has loved much, therefore her sins are forgiven. Gets the story, the moral of the story backwards, you would think. Her sins have been forgiven, therefore she's loved much. I think Luke is too smart to make a simple mistake like that. He wants us to think about this story. We see that backwards and say, oh, what's going on here? So he asks Simon the question, you see this woman? When I came into your house, you didn't give me water for my feet. She has not stopped bathing my feet with her tears. You see this woman? When I came into your house, you did not anoint my head with oil. She has not stopped anointing my feet with oil. You see this woman, when I came into your house, you gave me no kiss. She has not stopped kissing my feet when I came in. Simon blew it big time. A host must always offer water to wash feet, must always anoint the heads of his guests, must always give them a kiss. Simon has scandalized himself and Jesus by his just blatant failure of hospitality. And so Jesus says, who's been the better host? This woman or you? 
And the answer is very clearly, this woman. Simon, you think you're better than she is. Oops, not so fast. She's been a better host than you have. That's the difficulty we get into when we talk about all of those other people who sin. You know, that's the preacher and the prostitute. Oops, who's the better, the better preacher? Jesus doesn't make light of her sins. He doesn't say, oh, it's not her fault. Um, there's clearly a story there, I would guess. Um, women didn't end up as flute girls just because that was their career choice when they were kids. Um, it was probably because she was widowed and had no son. She was divorced and her husband didn't give her anything to, to, to take with her. Or her father couldn't come up with a dowry, and so she couldn't marry. There's some reason, no doubt, why she's here at this party with her hair down. But Jesus doesn't just sort of blow that off, doesn't just say, oh, it's not your fault. He says, your sins are forgiven. To be in relationship with someone means to run the risk of being hurt and hurting the other. Um, to, to excuse sins, to say, oh, it's not their fault. Those kids in detention, it's not their fault. It's just the social circumstances that put them there, means that we're not in relationship with them. It didn't hurt us. It didn't cost us anything. So it's easy for us to excuse them. But Jesus forgives her. Jesus says, I'm in relationship with her. It matters to me who she is. And so I'm going to forgive her. Your sins are forgiven. It's the moral of that story backwards to make us think about what's going on in the story. That sort of, you know, it's not my fault, that victim thing, we're real good at that. And that gets us off the hook. Forgiveness means that we have to be in relationship. In our baptismal vows, I love it, the Episcopal Church, we don't talk about sin in sermons, but we do get it right in the prayer baptismal vow, after we've said in the Apostles' Creed, there are some questions that get asked of the whole congregation. And one of them is, when you fall into sin, will you repent and return to the Lord? It doesn't say, if you fall into sin. It says, when. You know it's going to happen. In the marriage service, one of the prayers we say for the couple is, when they hurt each other, grant that they seek each other's forgiveness and yours. It doesn't say, if. It says when. We know full well that it's going to happen. And to excuse people, to say, oh, it wasn't your fault, that's okay, doesn't repair the relationship. My mom could have come home and seen that paint on the dining room ceiling and said, oh, it's not your fault. And I'd still be carrying that with me. It was my fault. It was our fault. She forgave us. That's a whole different thing. So being in relationship requires us to forgive. Simon didn't want to be in relationship with this woman. Jesus pointed out that, in fact, he was. She's the better host than you. Don't be holding yourself above her. One of the things we do in church not as usual is use baked bread. And I know logistically it's not, not easy to do. I wish we could do it every Sunday. We typically use those dry wafers. I heard somebody once joke 
that it's easier to believe that the bread becomes the body of Christ than it is to believe that those wafers were ever bread. Um, which I think is true. Um, but when we use a loaf, um, it's easy, much easier for me to think about this as the body of Christ. I mean, when we think about that little wafer as the body of Christ, it's just a little piece, right? This, when we say that this is the body of Christ, okay, that starts to mean something. But you can't get your little piece without breaking this. When we get our little wafer, we can each sort of think, okay, it's just between me and my God, right? I get my little bit of grace and it's all taken care of. To get a piece of this bread, somebody's going to have to break a piece off, which means that the relationships that this represents have to be broken. So I want to suggest to you that sin is not just an inconvenience. Sin, in fact, makes community possible. If we didn't sin, if we didn't hurt each other, then we are not in relationship with each other. That's the point of Jesus getting the moral of the story backwards, or Luke getting the moral of the story backwards. If we are not in relationship with each other, we can't hurt each other. If we don't hurt each other, we are not in relationship with each other. Sin and forgiveness make community possible. That's why we start with a loaf of bread and break Jesus' body broken for us so that we know we're in relationship with one another. My mom said, oh, it's not your fault. And that, that thing would still be sitting there. But as it was, we laughed about it. She forgave us. That's what it takes to be in relationship. Simon didn't want to be in relationship with that woman. Jesus pointed out, in fact, you are. She's the better hostess than you. We have to acknowledge that there are folks we don't want to be in relationship with. And God says, no, guess what? 